good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our Sunday morning time together. I look forward to this all week long, and this is what I prep for, and this is what I study for every week to share with you here at the Digital Cathedral. Hope you get something out of it once again today. It's hard to believe, but we are at the very end of what we started in January. In January, I told you that we were going to come through the books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And this morning, we are at the last chapter in the book of Colossians. It's hard to believe that we have, have waded through all of that. So beginning next Sunday morning, we'll, we'll be doing some different things. I've got some things in mind that I'd like to share with you. So we'll, we'll pick it up next Sunday morning on some, some topics that you have indicated some interest to me that you would like me to explore. So anyway, this final chapter, chapter four, Paul is saying goodbye. He's tipping his hat to all of those that have been faithful to him, all of those that have worked with him diligently, all of those that have grabbed onto the message of grace. And what we've learned through these four books, and I'm going to kind of look at all four books this morning, doing something a little bit different because his fourth chapter of Colossians, there was nothing really that, that stuck out or resonated in my spirit or said, we, we, we need to really dig into this Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral. So we're going to do something just a little bit different this morning. Uh, we're going to look at all four books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And we're going to look at this message that Paul preached, this message of grace, which Paul, I mean, Paul came at you with both barrels through all four books with grace. Paul, Paul served grace straight. <laughs> he didn't put any ice or any water in it. It was 190 proof grace. So he ends all four books with this word of encouragement this word of grace that he speaks to them and he speaks over them. And uh, if you've been with me for these nine months, I think that we have uncovered some, I mean, powerful truths. And even as, you know, I study them and then I present it on Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral, even as I'm presenting it to you and I go back and I look look at the time we spend together, it changes me. I, I've changed over the last nine months just in the things that I've, I have taught you and ministered to you, it's, it's, uh, it's ministered to me as well. So it's been a good study. You can look at your own life, I hope, and see that grace has changed you. And when we've come through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, it's been pretty evident that Paul is the guy. Paul's, Paul's the man when it comes to grace. He's the one that brought the message of pure, I like to call it radical. Some people call it hyper-grace. And we make a distinction on this from simple grace because of how religion has contorted grace. I mean, every church on every corner has a, has a name of grace in it, and they have no more clue about grace than the man in the moon. They have no, no conception of what Paul was teaching. But we've learned from Paul what this pure grace looks like, this radical hyper grace. And I want to I look this morning from all four books, because we really haven't emphasized it heavily, I want to look at what empowers grace, and Paul brought it out in a lot of different forms, in a lot of different ways, but there's an underlying, underlying fuel that Paul brings through all four books when he talks about grace, and I'm talking about the love of the Father. Now, the revelation this morning is not going to be so much in the hearing. I may not be saying uh, new things that you've never heard before, but I want to go past your mind this morning. I want to speak straight to your spirit about the love of the Father. So the revelation this morning is not in the hearing, it's going to be of the integration of what I say to you and what I say to myself this morning about this subject of the love of the Father. I don't think we can hear too much about it because, well, our minds have been so contorted by, by religion and all the years we spent in church about a love that was attributed to God but when the rubber meets the road, it was not how God was really presented. So we've got that firmly entrenched in our minds. So it takes a long time to get all of that weeded out. So you really can't talk about grace without talking about love, and you can't talk about love without talking about grace. A lover is full of grace, and a gracer is full of love. The two go hand in hand together. So the fourth chapter of Colossians is Paul's farewell, and he ends ends the book, and we're ending our study this morning. So like I said a minute ago, I want to take all four books, plus some other scripture. I'll have other scriptures to blend in. But I want to look at some highlights from these four books that we have looked at and the overriding theme that Paul presents in various forms, 
about the love that the Father has for us. And I want you to let this sink in deep this morning. You may want to go back and look at this again and just let the impact of God's love. I'm going to talk to you about some things that absolutely tipped the scale for me in 2003-2004 when through the portal of grace I discovered the love of God. And it was the love of God that wrecked my theology. It really was. It, made, it was the love of God that made me sit down when it captured my heart, when I saw the heart of a father, that made me sit down and begin to question everything that I had ever learned, everything that I had ever taught. It was the revelation of the love of God that made me walk years and years of cassette tapes from the 80s, CDs of the 90s and the 2000s, walk those things to the dumpster. It was the revelation of the love of the father that had me clear out my bookshelves of all the books. I wasn't going to give them away. I wasn't going to try to, you know, take them down to the used bookstore. I just put them in a dumpster. I didn't want anybody reading that stuff that I had read for years because once I had the revelation of love and it, and it gripped my heart, fatherhood of God, which is the love of God, it changed my life drastically. So I want to share with you some of the things that I that, that caused that transformation in my life in 2003, 2004, and we're gonna pull most of it out of the four books that we've been studying over the last nine months. So he presents in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different forms, the love of God. But he says it clearly in this third chapter of Colossians. And I didn't, I didn't really hit it too much last week because I wanted to share this Sunday morning what I'm sharing with you about the love of God. But Paul says it so well, in, and he puts it in perspective in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. He's, gonna, he's telling them important factors that need to be uh, assimilated into their life. He said, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, Verse 13, he says, bearing with one another. And he said, forgiving one another. And if anyone has, for, has committed anything against you, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So he, he's saying, those, here's some important things for you to have coming in your life. But then in verse 14, he says, but above all these things, all the things he just mentioned, which he said are extremely important in your life, this needs to, be, if you're going to manifest as a son, then verses 12 and 13 need to be rolling out of your life. But he says in verse 14, but above all these things, put on love. He says, which is the bond of perfection or the bond of maturity. If we're going to walk in maturity, if we're going to walk this message out, and the word love there is the word agape, it's the God kind of love. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But we can't let this thing of love escape us. Once it captivates you, it's going to flow from you to other people. You can't be a gracer without being a lover. And you can't be a lover without being a gracer. So all these attributes are important. But in that third chapter, the 14th verse, he really puts, he really puts the emphasis on it. He says, look, guys, we, above all these things, you need to put on love. If you put on love, the other things are going to follow. And he said that is, that is the bond. That's the earmark of absolute maturity. Now, while you're, while you're there in your, in your Bible, come back to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look. This is another way that love expresses itself that Paul uh, explained to us. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read verses 4 to 7. And just, this comes from the heart of love right here. This is the, this is the heart of the Father. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, but God was rich in mercy. Why is he rich in mercy? Because he loved us so doggone much, Paul says. And here's, then he says, here, here's the demonstration of the love of God. And we talk, you know, this, this really is grace. We're going to see here in verse 5, 6, and 7. But it comes out of the fuel. It's motivated by the love of God, right? Verse 5, here's how it shows itself. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. You have been saved. For by grace you have been saved. And this love keeps working and it raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Man, that's love in action. That is love expressed. Paul's saying because he loved us so much that even when we were jacked up, messed up, separated in our minds from him, he saved us. He reconciled us, brought us back together with him. 
And if that's not enough, he then seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and the love continues to flow throughout the ages. It's going to take that long to discover the depths of his love and his goodness and his mercy and his grace toward us that's in, in Christ Jesus. You know what? If just the verses I've read from, from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12, 13, 14, and these verses here out of Ephesians chapter 2, if, if we only had those verses and they came and we could weave those into the heart of humanity, if we could just weave these into our culture, you know what? Our world would change. We wouldn't see riots on the street. We wouldn't see all the upheaval. We wouldn't see the mess going on in the world that we see going on if we just had those verses. But the problem is the religious filters that we've heard things through just doesn't want to let go and see the depth of what he has fully imputed into our lives. And love is an imputed, an, an imputed gift. You can't earn it, ask for it. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But I, I, I want to really emphasize his love this morning. And I want you just to, to grab hold of it for yourself. Just take a deep breath this morning. Grab hold of his love for you. You may want to get off. When I'm done with this, and you, if you listen to it again even, you might want to then get off by yourself and just think about how much he loves you. How much he loves you. Now, pay attention this morning. I, I want you to really, really get this, all right? Because the foundation off which we believe, everything that we believe... We've come into so much revelation and so much light. Everything we believe, all the revelation that we have, comes from the depth of the love of God as we embrace it. You embrace the love of God, your eyes are going to open farther. I mean the love for you. For, forget other people this morning. I, I'm just, I'm zeroing right in on you. I'm, I'm looking at you in the eye this morning. I'm zeroing in on you, and I'm speaking to you about the love that the Father has for you. If our, if our perception of the love of God is fickle, if, it's, if it vacillates, if, it, if we base it on anything that we do or we can't do, uh, if we place any kind of limit on his love, if we put any kind of border or parameter on it, we will never feel secure. That's why you never felt secure in religion, is because there was a, there was a, 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 a ceiling to the love of God. There was always there was always a condition of obedience or acceptance. There was always something placed on that love. And so we never felt secure. We weren't sure that we had touched all the bases. We, we weren't sure that we had done everything. And we were always working to try to improve that relationship. So grace says, says very simply that God loves you. He really, absolutely, in the state you're in, he loves you. And he has no conditions on it to be met. No hoops to jump through, no standards to achieve, no levels to attain. It's just poured out in abundance to you this morning. Absolutely. As you're sitting here in the digital cathedral with me, I want you to feel the blanket of love begin to surround, surround your life. Grace says that God fully embraces you. He fully includes you in his family, just like you are. Let's come over one, one chapter to chapter 4 in Ephesians while you're right there. And, and, and let me read. I want you to see how inclusive this love is. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. But said, he says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Remember when we studied that back in Ephesians? Each one of us has been given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. The gift of Christ is totally love. It was totally instigated by love. So whatever measure you put on that gift of Christ to you, that's how deep you put the measure of grace. Now, he shows us in verse 6 how inclusive from his end this is. For in verse 6, he says, There is one God who is the Father of all, who is above all, who is through all, and who is in all. So he's saying, here's how inclusive this love is. First of all, you put a measure on it. You can measure it as big as you want or as small as you want. Whatever measure you put on it, the gift of Christ, that's the measure you put on the love. But he says in verse 6, I'm going to tell you from the Father's standpoint, there's one God and Father of all who's through all and in all. That's, that's the Father's view. So let's agree with him this morning. Seeing how inclusive this Father's love is and the love that he has for us without limits and that the Father has for every son and daughter that bears his image, 
that was something I, it took me a while to get my head around in 2003, 2004. I'm just being honest with you. I had to make a huge mental adjustment because yes, I believe God loved me, but I believed, I, I thought he would love me more if I was obedient. I thought he loved me more if I would pray more. I thought he, 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 that there was another dimension to his love that I hadn't broken into and it was incumbent on me to discover what that was. What was lacking on my end that would really cause this breakthrough of love from the Father to come to me in my life? Yes, God loved me. I, I, yeah, he, he sure did. But there was always this little bit of hesitation until I, I, I really understood. And, and so today I can, I can tell you that I'm fully convinced that the love that comes from the Father to all of us, that at the end of the day, when the dust settles, the last hurrah spoken, it's gonna capture every heart that has ever lived on the planet Earth. There's, gonna, there's nobody that's gonna be able to resist the love dial when it's turned high enough. Some may, some may uh, uh, resist for some time, but I'll tell you what, love never fails, it never lets down, it never quits. So I'm gonna give you seven reasons, and I may not have time to spend much on each reason, but I wanna give you seven reasons that absolutely convinced me that the Father is, is nothing but love. He's 100% love. He, there, can, there can nothing come from him but love. Unconditional, unsolicited, one-way love. He's pure love. He's pure love. You know, if you have a 100% pure chocolate bar, there's no peanut butter in that chocolate bar. There's no, there's no cashews. There's no nuts in that chocolate bar. It's pure chocolate. There can, there's nothing else added to it. It is 100% chocolate. And I, I'm convinced that God's 100% love. There can nothing come from him except agape, except an unrestricted love. So the first, first reason that really convinced me that God is love and that tipped me, began to tip my theology, was number one, God's love by definition is totally unconditional. It's condition free. It's without limits. By, by the very definition of God's love, it's without limits. It's unconditional. And I find that in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 6. And when I saw this verse, it took on whole new meaning to me. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 16. 1 John chapter 4 verse 16 says this. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Right there, man. That's where, I, that's where I'm at with you this morning. I'm, 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 I'm beseeching you to know and believe the love that God has for us. And here's the one definition of God in all of Scripture. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So back to my chocolate bar. God is love. There's no other definition in Scripture about God. It, the Bible never says God is justice or God is this or God is anything except in 1 John, that's the one full total definition of what God is. Um, what kind of love have we put our trust in, really? What, what, what's this love all about? It's, it's a love that's totally unique to God. It's, it's proactive. It, it hunts you down. It searches for you. It looks for you. We love him because he first loved us. So his love is, is proactive. It's sacrificing. It's one way. It demands no response. See, this is, this is what put my mind on tilt. I felt the love of God had to be responded to or we had to accept it. No, there's no acceptance. There's no response required. That's what makes it unconditional. The minute that you put a condition of acceptance or believing or or responding to it, whatever, you know, all the things that we learned in church that make the love of God flow to us, then it's not unconditional. That It's no longer agape. It's no longer God's love. And that's so foreign to us because we don't have any, uh, we don't have any signposts. We don't have any uh, um, referral point of that kind of unconditional love because every love that we have known on the earth is either, you know, I love you and you love me or I love you because you can do something for me or you love me because I can do something for you. It's always a reciprocal kind of thing. You know, at the best level, it's a brotherly love. But most often it's a selfish love that we love somebody or they love us because of what we can do or perform for them or help them with something. But until you encounter for yourself 
the God kind of love from the Father until you really know it for yourself, listen to me, until you, until you experience it. It's, it, it, it. it surpasses knowledge, and that's going to be one of my points. But until you experience it, you're always going to have one eye out for the divine loophole. You know, the one thing that God can slip through and say, hey, you messed up here, therefore I, I don't have to love you, I'm separated from you. We're looking for the gut punch of rejection, aren't we? Because that's what's happened. Maybe your parents, the love they had, you, you didn't return it uh, to their satisfaction, so they kind of rejected you or set you off, or a sibling or a friend or a church. They found that one loophole. Well, you're believing crazy stuff, therefore we don't fellowship with you anymore, and so they withdraw the love from you. Let me, let me help you so that you don't get messed up with this. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. This is a good, these are good verses right here. You may want to take these down. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5 says this. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. Romans, Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Verse 6 says, just as David, who describes the blessings of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Boy, I love that. I love that, that, that fifth verse. This is, this is the kind of love that God has. It justifies the ungodly. You never heard that one in church. He justifies the ungodly. That's that's the kind of love we're talking about this morning. So there's, there's nothing that can put you outside that parameter where you can say, he doesn't love me because I've been, you know, I've, I've been so messed up. I've done too much. Uh, you know, I've been in jail or I've been through so many quandaries in life. He, I've gone too far. No, he justifies the ungodly. That's, that's a signpost on the thing that, the way that he loves us. Then he says, blessed are those who law, whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall impute. Impute, that means he just, he direct deposits it. He puts it into your life. He does it because he wants to. The, fa the father knew, the father knew you couldn't get your head around that kind of love. So you know what he did? The father said, I know they can't, I know they can't fathom it because they don't experience it. They have seen it before in action. So I'm going to come to earth. I'm going to take on an earth suit. I'm going to take on flesh, and I'm going to demonstrate it. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. Hmm, I'm tempted to go on a rabbit trail there, but I better not. Number two. Number two. Here's, here's what convinced me about the love of the Father. Wreck my theology. Number two. Jesus demonstrates love without limit. He demonstrated it. He came and showed us what it looks like. Over one chapter, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Here's how his love looked. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me say this. Christ didn't have to die for the Father. The Father didn't need Jesus to die. In fact, the Father didn't kill Jesus. We did. It was our anger, our vengeance, our hostility that murdered him. And he willingly allowed himself to be murdered. Nobody took his life. He laid it down. When we were in that mess, he, he went to the extent of love. He, he went to the extent of love to show us what love looks like. And he voluntarily laid his life down to show us the heart of the Father. That he would love us and forgive us even if we killed him, tortured him, beat him, spit on him, mocked him, nailed him to a cross. Didn't diminish his love. That's good. That's so good. Verse 9, much more, much more beyond that than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, even when we, if you're, if you have shook your fist at God, said, I don't believe in you. I want you in my life. I don't want any part of it. Even when we were enemies, he reconciled us to God through, his, through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So if you don't want to be reconciled, it's too late. He's already done the job. He's already done it. Limitless love started 
and completed the reconciliation process. Had nothing to do with you. Had totally to do with his love. And when we look at the cross, I want you to see the cross a little different. The cross is the single greatest demonstration of a limitless love toward us, regardless of how hostile we treated him. It, it was a demonstration of love that he says, I don't care how bad you treat me, I don't care how much you reject me, I, 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 would, rather, I would rather die than to have you feel separated. By my death, I'm showing you there is no separation, and I would rather die that there be no separation in your mind, and you will see how much I loved you. See, we never asked him to go to the cross. He voluntarily said, let me show you. I'd rather die than be separated from you. We didn't ask him to go to the cross. We didn't ask to be reconciled. He did it for us. We were totally ignorant of what's going on, Father's plan. Even, even the powers of darkness had no clue, or they would have never, never crucified Jesus, what Scripture says. So we were ignorant of the plan when Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished, or bring it in today's terminology, mission finished, mission accomplished. That's what he was saying. So love accomplished everything it needed to accomplish for every man, every man. Love accomplished everything it needed to accomplish for every person. I'm gonna tell you, that's my message till the day I die. John chapter three, verse 17, we wanna quote 16, but in verse 17, he brings clarification to 16 when he says that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son into the world so that the world through him might be saved, might be made whole. That's, saved, you know, that word sozo, I've talked to you many times about it. It's not a ticket to heaven and a ticket out of hell. It's, it, it's completeness, wholeness, delivered, soundness of mind. That's what the word sozo, saved, actually means. So that the whole world could have a sound mind. The whole world could experience wholeness. That's, that's why he did this. All right, number three, number three. His love is too big to measure. Man, when I got a hold of that, his love is too big to measure. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three, and I'm probably pulling back on some of the things that we've talked about a little bit, but some of these, these verses that we looked at through these last nine months, I mean, they're absolutely mind-blowing. Mind-blowing when you look at them through the right lens. Look, this is how big his love is. Ephesians chapter three, verse 18. He said that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, it's four-dimensional. What is the width, the length, the depth, and the height? And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. So this love that passes knowledge, he's saying, I, I, I want you to get a, a measure on it, on the height, the depth, the width, and the length. I want you to get it. He said, it goes past your understanding. Don't try to get your head around it. It goes past your understanding. Now, now here's, here's, this, this is mind-blowing. He said, when you do, he said that you might be filled. Are you ready? You're hanging onto the sides of your sofa this morning. That you might be filled with the fullness of God. He said, this love, when you really understand it, the fullness of God himself dwells in you. And as your awareness expands to that, the awareness of your oneness, that's a, that's a huge key in understanding the love of God, is the oneness that you have with him, see? If, 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 he, if he rejected you, he's rejecting himself because he's, he's made you one with him. You're one with him. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's made you one with him. So if he were to try to separate you from him, he'd have to separate himself from himself. It's impossible to do. So he says, when you begin to be aware of this love, he said it expands in four directions. He said, it'll get deeper, it'll get higher, it'll get broader, and it'll get longer. And he says, look what happens. When, you, when, when it gets long enough, broad enough, deep enough, high enough, he said, you're going to experience the fullness of God. And listen, we're experiencing that to a degree right now. We're a long ways from, from the totality of the fullness because we're still expanding it. We're still seeing it's bigger. We're still letting it grow in our mind. And wherever you're at this morning, why I'm really pressing down on you to let this love of God permeate your life. You, you embrace it as, as your love, is what he has given to you personally this morning. Yeah, he loved the whole world, but he loves you individually. You're part of that world. You can't get away from it. You, you, his love will track you down. It's impossible to get away from. 
So the fullness of God himself, and, 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 and look what happens. You're filled with that fullness. How does that happen? How does that happen? He tells us in the first part of that 19th verse of Ephesians chapter 3, the first part of that 19th verse, he says, to know the love of Christ, to know it, which is past knowledge. How do you know something that is past knowledge? You know it in your knower, right? You experience it. He says, to know beyond knowledge. That sounds like double talk until you become spirit-minded enough to know that, that in your spirit is where you know it. And then as you, as you know it, as you experience it, you know, what's incredible is you can experience something that's beyond your knowledge. And that's what, that, that's what happened to us with grace and with love both. We, we began to experience his love and his grace beyond our understanding. And that got my attention. I saw that going on in my life. I was experienced enough in the things of God in 2003, 2004. I mean, I've been a pastor 35 years then. I was experienced enough to understand that I was grabbing something from within that my mind could not, could not get a hold of. It started with grace and went to love of God, went to the fatherhood of God, went on to mercy, went on to a lot of different things. But this love of God kind of was the trigger of the whole thing, man. When you, when you get that down and you begin to experience it beyond your understanding and it becomes more real than things you see. It becomes more real than all of the detriments that people say, well, that, you know, you, you, you're, you're just making God too inclusive. You're making him, you know, yes, yes, God loves us, but you, you know how that works. God loves us when, God loves us if. All those, all those objections, it just didn't make any sense because I knew what I was experiencing. And once he shows you that his love includes you, then you feel secure. You know that he's not going to let go of you, right? You're not in one day and out the next day. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 says, Let the peace of God which passes understanding guard your heart and mind. Peace comes from love. So let me just put love in there. Let love guard your heart and mind. Love that goes beyond understanding. Let it guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus so that whatever you're encountering, whatever you're facing, maybe your business is not doing well. Maybe you're, you're uptight about things in life. Look, this love is going gonna, is gonna to say, you know what, in the snap of a finger, God can, God can replenish. Why are, why are you still trusting in your own ability, your own wits? He's trying to say, relax in me. Trust me. Trust me. I have got this covered. But we will never feel secure in him until we understand how much he loves us, how much he cares for us. And that love and that care doesn't just push you off from shore and say, go live life to the best of your ability. That love takes care of you. He'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. All right, I got to hurry along. Number four, God's limitless love keeps no record of wrongs. Oh my gosh, that opened up to me the whole vista of, of uh, ultimate reconciliation and it God's going to see all of us come to a knowledge of Christ, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It won't be a, it won't be a forced uh, coercion by him on us to where we're gritting our teeth and bowing our knee and confessing. No, love keeps no record of wrongs. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. <clears throat> so love, when love manifested itself, think about this with me. When love manifested itself in the person of Jesus... Jesus the Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, he knew the name of every soldier that beat him. He knew, the, he, knew, he knew the name of every person that pulled his beard, spit on him. He knew the name of every soldier that nailed him to the cross. He knew the name of every Pharisee that said he had a devil, that he was a heretic, but he kept no record of those wrongs. He held none of that against any of them. The Father forgives them. When Jesus said, forgive them because they don't, in effect, know who they really are. Because if they knew who they really are, they would not be doing what they're doing. So Father, forgive their ignorance all the way around. Forgiveness is released and it wipes the record clean and allows the power of love to flow. Sin is not an issue anymore. Sin has been dealt with one time at the cross. All sin for all men. The only stumbling block now is in our minds. Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at one from Colossians that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. Colossians chapter 1. Are you getting something out of this? 
I'm enjoying it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. Verse 20. And by him, by this one in whom all fullness dwells, to reconcile all. And in my Bible, I underlined all. That's one of Paul's favorite words. One of the most powerful words in post-resurrection scripture is the word all. And to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things that are on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. All right? So he has done a job of reconciliation. You're, you're released today. Maybe nobody's ever released you before. I released you this morning from all of the war, all of the confusion, all the double-mindedness that religion created in your mind. I release you from that. Forgive them. That they were just doing what they knew to do. All the uncertainty, every all that uncertainty that, that religion created in your mind to make you think maybe God doesn't love me, maybe God has separated from me, maybe I, I, I've missed it somewhere. Look, all of that is gone this morning. We're letting his love capture every part of our being. Every part of our being, all right? It's a declaration of peace over all of heaven and all of earth. That's what he's saying. He's reconciled all things to himself. There's total peace over all of creation now. There's no separation in all of creation. And it was declared by love himself. All right, number five. Number five. God's limitless love lasts forever. His limitless love lasts forever. Let me, get, let me just read again. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse uh, eight. I think I, I want to get the wording right, so let me let me just read it for you. First Corinthians, it's that love chapter. I should know it by heart by now after all these years. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 says, Love never fails. Whether prophecies and tongues they'll cease, and knowledge will vanish away, but love never fails. It never, it never fails. Not for one person, one time, for throughout history, past, present, or future. Love never fails. God is love. He does not fail. And what his mission is, and what his strategy, it will come to full completion. Then it says in verse 13, And now abides these three things, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, he said, is love. Now, this understanding that love never fails, and that love is the greatest thing, tells me that there is no end to his love. The love the Father has for you doesn't stop when you die. See, we've bought into this thing from religion that when you die, the story's over. If you didn't pray the magic prayer, if you didn't do the right things, jump through the right hoops, uh, sign the card the right way, you know what? God, there's a good chance you're going to be banished. In, 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 in fact, you're going to stand before God and he's going to machine gun you with all the sins and shortcomings of your life. He may even play a video in front of the world of all your actions and your thoughts no, 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 no. He's, he's telling us that love never fails, that love keeps no record of wrongs, that all creation has been reconciled. I, I, I won't get in, into that, but love doesn't stop when you die. God's hold on you does not stop when you die. See, what makes, what makes us think when this, when this tent wears out that the eternal spirit within you still can't make choices and decisions. This is, this is the real you down here. This is the real you that makes the solid God kind of decisions. What makes us think that that's over? We, there's not one verse in all of scripture that tells, oh, pastor, but what about, what about the scripture? It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Well, let me give you some good news this morning. You've already died your death. You died with Jesus. You were crucified with Christ and you were raised and judged righteous in him. You've already been judged. There's no more judgment for you. Do you hear me? You're not going to stand before God, and I'll say it again. He's not going to machine gun you with all your sins and shortcomings and failures. He's already judged you in Christ as righteous. You were crucified, resurrected, buried, resurrected, ascended, seated today with Christ in heavenly places. That's your judgment. He's judged you righteous. So time is irrelevant to God. It's always now with God. There's no, there, time was created for man. It, time is to be our servant. It's how we mark things. But time has, time means nothing to God. Time is irrelevant to him. It's always now with him, right? 
that, and that love that he loves us with, it continues forever. It, it's not going to fade out. It's not going to stop. It's not going to cease, which brings me to number six. God's love is always steadfast. Number six, God's love is steadfast. There's no vacillation. There's no up. There's no down. There's no, he loves more today. He loves less tomorrow. There's none of that. There's none of that. I want to pull one verse from the Old Testament that really ministered to me this week when I was doing some study on this. It's Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3. Listen to this. Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you. Listen, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That means it lasts forever. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, or because of that, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. How, how will he draw? There are going to be some people that die that have, re, that have re, knowingly rejected Christ. Does that mean God doesn't love them anymore? Does that mean, according to uh, what we just read from uh, Jeremiah 31.3, that his loving kindness stops drawing? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The, the, the word everlasting in Hebrew is the word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. It's used 250 times, and it means a warm-hearted, generous devotion. Hasid, a warm-hearted, generous devotion. That exposes the heart of a father right there. Every father has a warm-hearted, generous devotion to his offspring. You, you, you can't have a westernized view of God that looks more like Zeus, you know, we, with, with lightning and uh, thunder coming out of his hands, and, and he's angry and creating terror and raining down on those uh, that have been enemies of his with wrathful vengeance. That's not Hasid. That's not Hasid. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, therefore, my kindness, my loving kindness will draw you to myself. Paul said in the New Testament, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. If God really wants us to repent, he's going to continue to expose his goodness. It's not going to be eternal fire that gets us to change our mind. It's going to be the goodness of God. Hasid unveils a father's devotion to his children that would lay down his life for his children at the drop of a hat. And guess what? He did. He absolutely did. All right, number seven. God's limitless love loves even the unlovely. Does that take in Hitler and Jeffrey Dahmer and others that have created tremendous atrocity? Absolutely does. I just lost some viewers right there. Y'all just clicked off on me. What has convinced me and tipped me in 2003, 2004, wrecked my theology was the idea that God's limitless love, when I thought it through, it has to reach to even the unlovely. Maybe, maybe you think there's just a crack in the door of possibility that you might be the exception to everything I'm talking about this morning. You might be the exception to that. Maybe because uh, of all the bad stuff you've done. Or maybe the thoughts you've had. I mean, didn't Jesus teach if you thought it, you might as well do it? Man, I'm telling you what. Maybe you, maybe you think there's just some kind of thing that God's holding in reserve that he's going to be able to, at the last minute, pull the rug out from under my feet. Well, I want you to put whatever you thought or whatever you did up against all the rebels the rabble-rousers, uh, the, 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 you know, the derelicts, if I could use that word, the derelicts that God, throughout Scripture, pulled out, dusted off, and pushed them by his will out into greatness. Look, you go to Hebrews 11 and look at that, what we call the Faith Hall of Fame, you know, all those people that went on before us that were true to the faith and all that kind of stuff. Listen, that whole list, they're not goody two-shoes. There's some real characters in that list that went through some real problems, that failed many times, that did things that are beyond detestable. And God picked them up. God had love for them. God did not abandon them at any time. Jesus had a reputation that would have revoked his, <laughs> revoked his ordination at the, at the next association meeting of the National Association of Evangelicals. I mean, look at the guy. He was friend of sinners. 
He loved lepers that nobody was to touch. That was against the law to even touch a leper. He hung with Gentiles and thieves and tax collectors. He even have a, had a soft heart and spent time with those stinking, half-breed Samaritans that were so unworthy, no, no self-respecting Jew would even talk to them. That's who Jesus went to. So does God love the unlovely? Absolutely. I think he's got a special place in his heart for them if he has a special place in his heart. John tapped into that. John said he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, he separated himself from the others. But he, there's nothing egotistical about that. He just had a revelation of how much Jesus loved him. And I, that's what I'm trying to get you to see this morning. His circle of limitless love has widened so wide gone so deep, so high, that it's included all of us. It's embraced all of us. And I want you to feel so secure in that love this morning. I think one day people are gonna stand before the Father and they're gonna be embarrassed about what they thought about him. If I had not come into this revelation of, of love and grace and everything we've come into, I'd have been embarrassed one day when I stand before God and see that, that he was totally 100% love didn't hold wrongs against us, kept no record of them. I, I bring up things, you know, and, and, and I hear the Spirit of God say, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. See, we need to let it go. It's us that keeps it, it's not the Father. So let me, let me just say this in conclusion. I'll wrap this up this morning, this study. It's been a great study, nine month study. I hope you got a lot out of it, I have. An unveiling of the Father's love will wreck your theology. It'll absolutely wreck your theology. If you're still holding on to a few tenets of things that you have believed because you know they're not right, but you can't let them go, you're afraid, a little bit afraid to let them go, make two things the baseline of your belief system, okay? Make two things the baseline of your theology, what you believe. Number one, that God is, is limitless love. There is no end to it. No one is outside of it. Make that point number one of the baseline of your life. And number two, that Jesus is the only one that has ever represented the Father to us. So if you don't see it in Jesus, don't believe it about the Father. Jesus came to unveil who the Father really is. He came to undo all of the bad press and the fake news that had gone on in the Old Covenant. Nobody's seen the Father, Jesus said, except the Son. So Moses never got a full glimpse. He, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah, David, they never saw him. Jesus saw him. Jesus came and said, look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So it's not good cop, bad cop. It's not the Father's looking to punish and judge and be vengeful, and Jesus is a good guy trying to get us out of that, that uh, mess. No, 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 no. They are one and the same. And, and Jesus said in John, what is it, chapter 14, verse 20, in that day you'll know that I'm in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. That means we are all one together in love, and we can't get out of it. He loves you so much that he would die on the cross and resurrect from the dead and come back and hunt you down in that bar, in that drug house, or in the church building, wherever you were, that love would run you down and say, I've come just to tell you that I forgive you and I love you with an everlasting love. Everything else is subject to continual change except God is love and Jesus is a full reflection of the Father. And so as our view of the Father sharpens and as it adjusts, our understanding of how much he loves us and how much he cares for us and all that he's done for us is gonna to continue to expand. It's expanding every day. Let it expand. Like I said earlier, you may wanna get off by yourself. Just spend five minutes, 10 minutes. Do, do it for several days and just let him love on you. Just be conscious of his love. Don't tell him how much you love him. Don't, don't say, Father, you know how much I love you. I care for you. Thank you. No, just sit there and let him love on you. Let him, let him lavish his love on you. You're a special child to him. 
He loves you so much. He loves you so much. Thank you for being a part of the Digital Cathedral. It's a joy to come every week and share the grace, the love, the mercy, the finished work of the cross. Man, we're, we're going to be getting into some things. I think next week we might talk about, you know, I did a book on Hell's Illusion. I think maybe next week I'm going to do a couple teachings on the Edemic Illusion because that has been a big one that has driven separation in the minds of people. I think I will do a couple on the Edemic Illusion starting next week. You don't want to miss it. You know, all of these teachings are good to share with people. It's the way that you can help spread the Digital Cathedral. It's not a bad idea to have somebody over for a cup of coffee and just say, look, let's watch this. We're not going to church anymore. Let's watch this, see what this guy's got to say this week. I'm telling you what I'm ahead, what I'm going to say next week. We're going to talk about the Edemic Illusion. Hope you've enjoyed this nine month study, gotten something out of it. You can go back and look at the videos and pick up more. The more times you listen to it, the more you'll get out of it. God bless you, love you. I feel like I just want to pray over you this morning. Can I do that? Father, I just thank you for every person, every member, every attender, every contributor in the Digital Cathedral. And Father, what we've studied over these last nine months, I pray right now that it would saturate and permeate us until it becomes us totally in our consciousness. Father, continue to expand our understanding and our revelation. And thank you that we're just now beginning the journey. And it's all good and it's all God. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. See you Wednesday night. See you next Sunday morning. Same time, same place.